one of those days. No, I hold on. I accidentally pressed the button. Okay, go one more time. Hello, hello, and welcome to this, the third time we've tried to start this week's episode of the <laughs> Weekly Watch List, but the positive is I've caught it twice very quickly, so we've only actually burned about a minute, so that's a win. <laughs> Sometimes you can record for legitimately 30, 40 minutes without realising you've not pressed the button. Uh, this is the Weekly Watch List. My name is Sean Peterbudge, and we welcome you to this, another pop culture podcast brought to you by the fair people at MGA Traffic, your one-stop shop for traffic, transport and waste. I'm joined as always by Will Peters, who you had started asking the question how you were. You stopped yourself halfway through what sounded like a positive answer to tell me, no, you're bored, you're really struggling. And then I realised we weren't recording. So (laughs) just act as though I've asked you that question. We'll go right from the top. How are you going, Will? Oh, well, oh, wait, no, hold on. I'm not great. Beautiful, um, seamless. I, th- <laughs> um, I am waiting for retail to open back up so I can go back to work. Excellent. Um, and I'm at a point at home where if I sit around and do nothing and no one notices, it's fine. But when there's people home, they're like, what are you doing now? What do you got on today? What's this? What's that? Luckily, golf's back. So I've already played around this week, playing another tomorrow. Just quickly, what do they expect you to be doing? You can't go anywhere. Things around the home. Like what? Um, oh, cleaning the barbecue. Um, what? Just random shit. Um, I guess, but you know, and as being a member of the household and their son, you know, you meant to do stuff. But then I just, I really don't enjoy being told to do things when I'm asked to do them. Yep. If I do them on my own accord, I'm fine. Like I did, I did the lawns, the edges. I basically landscaped my whole backyard last week, all on my own accord. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was doing that kind of, th- I was doing that thing where you go out in front of your lawn with a cup of tea and yeah. just go. <sighs> yeah, I have, I have worked wonders here. <laughs> and because I've done it myself, I was just over the moon. I was just like, yeah, I've done a great job. This is really good. You know what frustrates um, if me? I, if I get told to do that, no chance. Yeah, if you, get, it's something that would take you half an hour if somebody asks you to do it. We're going to be sitting there for weeks. (laughs) Um, What frustrates me when people say stuff like that, oh, why did you just do this? Why did you just do that? You go, well, first things first, why didn't you clean the bathroom? Firstly, none of that's my mess. (laughs) None of it. So why would I clean other people's grotted filth? Why would I even touch that? That is one of my main arguments in my family. None of that's mine. Just clean the barbecue. I don't use the barbecue. (laughs) Yeah, but do you eat the food that comes off the barbecue? But here's the argument. I would just as happily live without the food that's eaten on the cooked on the barbecue, I could get food somewhere else. You're the one that has decided to use the barbecue. But then you're under the roof. That's exactly, and this is this self-fulfilling, it just keeps going. You sort of go, well, (laughs) how about this? I'll sleep on the lawn. (laughs) (laughs) I'll buy a tent. (laughs) You've got to mow that that lawn. I will mow the two-by-two section of the lawn (laughs) that my tent sits on. (laughs) I'm going to sit there. Uh, yeah, I think we're all going a bit stir crazy, but fingers crossed we uh, saw an easing of restrictions, chilling. yeah, which was which was good. And then fingers crossed again, maybe an even greater easing in the next week or two. How was how was the backflip from the sport minister? He's like, yep, thousand people at Cox Plate, they're all no punches, <sighs> just owners, trainers, blah blah blah. And oh, then look, everyone is just like, get fucked. We can't watch the grand final with a mate. With all due respect, Minister, get fucked. (laughs) And then three hours later, he goes, yeah, you know, it wasn't the right call. It was a mistake on my part. It's like, yeah, no shit. Look, it's a tricky one because I 
don't necessarily care. Like when it was announced, I was a little bit like, eh, eh, yeah. So was I. It's more the fact though that they're not allowing three people to go to a mate's house. If you put a limit on like four people, that's all people want. Understand. But I think that it's the inconsistencies. Since you allow a thousand people in a space, it's just like, how does that work out? I think it's the inconsistencies. And I think what frustrates people with some of these COVID things is like, for example, a couple of weeks ago, I think we spoke about, and you brought up golf just before, you couldn't play a round of golf, but the golf courses has been temporarily designated, some of them, as like a park. So yeah. people were on the golf course more than yeah. would have been on the golf course playing golf. Exactly. And then in the same breath, uh, uh, public pools are open. And you're like, oh, that's a, I know what I'd probably prefer to do if my health was a priority. Yeah. And it's those inconsistencies. Course. And look, I sympathise with a lot of, I don't necessarily agree with everything that they've done. I sympathise no. with the unprecedented nature of what's happening. Yeah. However, there are examples like this where you're like, this culture of whataboutism, you're not helping that. Yeah. Because you're like, well, you can't do this, but you can do that. You can go get your hair cut, but they can't trim your beard. And you're like, yeah. <sighs> you're like, oh, just like, it. don't give the nuff nuffs a reason. Yeah. To get their fucking collar up. Just you're trying like, to. I understand that you're you're trying to loosen things up and the like, but there's so much grey. Yeah. To what's happening that people are like, it just creates more questions, more questions, more questions. Mm. Well, the premise of this show, Will, obviously, as our listeners would know, is that we pick some of the favourites uh, or standout items of media that we've consumed during the week, whether it be TV, film, books, games, music and the like, uh, and we discuss them. Um, Steven Soderbergh started doing it many years ago. He does his year-end list. We just do it. Uh, the show is called The Weekly Watch List, but we're more like the, the every 10 days watch list. Um, <laughs> Rise Again Blues. So yes, calling us out yes. He's very keen for our new app. Um, shout out to you. Thank you for listening. Uh, we start off as, as of late with the news. We just do a bit of a whip around with things that might have caught our eyes from a news point of view in the media. Um, something that I am terribly excited about, and it had been whispered about this film is coming. No one really knew when, but it's coming. You're like, oh, okay, well, just give us a heads up then. The first trailer for David Fincher's new film, David Fincher, fantastic filmmaker, Gone Girl, The Social Network, um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the, uh, the US or the Hollywood remake, D- done a bunch of fantastic films, fantastic filmmaker, and just mentioning those three does him a disservice. He has done a bio of Herman uh, Mankiewicz, who was the legendary Hollywood screenwriter who wrote Citizen Kane. And it's this black and white period shot starring Gary Oldman as uh, Mank. That's what it's called, Mank. It looks unbelievable. There were these whispers of this project, this classic... Hollywood making films about Hollywood is always fun. Uh, Dolomite is my name was really good last year with Eddie Murphy and there's been Ed Wood, which was obviously a very similar film, black and white, shot in the period. Um, even stuff like Bowfinger is good fun. This sort of peek behind the curtain Hollywood talking about Hollywood inside baseball stuff. And it was something that I saw the logline for David Fincher making a film about this guy. And I was like, that'll probably be terrific. Mm. And it looks terrific. So it's um, shot on a special, uh, like, state-of-the-art. It's a weird thing. There's no colour negative. There's no colour version of this film. It was shot on this, like, state-of-the-art digital red camera, and it's this most beautiful black and white. Um, not even a transfer. That's just how it's shot. It looks fantastic. Uh, I think it's on December 4. It drops on Netflix, so not too far away. 
And it's sort of like one of the first big award show markers, this film. This film's like a real Hollywood award show pedigree movie. It'll be up like best picture, director, actor, etc. So it's right. sort of like the first horse out of the gate to make a real run at that next award season. But um, check it out, Mank, M-A-N-K, trailer's out now. Uh, read a bit more about the guy. He was a really interesting guy and um, wrote, you know, like it's a bit old hat when people talk about the greatest movies ever made. Have you ever seen Citizen Kane? No. It's one of those classics, like it's the mainstay on all these, you know, whenever they do a best of list, Citizen Kane yeah. is always either at the top or near the top. It is a genuinely brilliant movie. Hmm. Like it's worth, it's everything about the hype. You watch it and you're like, it's just an excellent film. Mm. So this guy wrote it and there's a whole backstory to that, which we don't want to go into here, but it's all very, very interesting. Check out the trailer. Another interesting tidbit, William, coming to America 2, which has been shot, which has been finished. Once again, a bit like Mank, everyone was like, well, when's it out? What's it doing? Where's it tracking? Blah, 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 blah. It's likely to launch on Amazon this December. So the rumour is Amazon have done a deal to buy the distribution rights. It'll drop on Amazon a bit like Borat 2. $125 million deal, apparently, which is huge money. Huge. Damn. Unbelievable cash. So obviously the long um, gestating sequel to the classic Coming to America. Um, Once again, no trailers for that. No real news on what it looks like as such. But... um, Interesting, nonetheless, that it's going to forego a cinema release. They've probably, we've spoken about this a bit the last couple of weeks about films having their release dates bumped. Mm-hmm. And those films are like big tentpole pictures of all sort of shuffled back down the line. The attitude from a coming to America point of view might just be more about we are going to get lost in the swell. If we release our film, we might get a little bit of a look at it you know, when we drop for a week or two, but given that we haven't had eight months' worth of films and then there's still the slate of films that were meant to be out, we're just going to get lost. We're going to get blown away. We're going to get swamped. So what can we do about it to get some money now, sell it to Amazon, get the film out there? I'm looking forward to it. I'm a bit like Borat. It's like, of course, going to watch it. Don't really know what to expect. Um, These long sort of belated sequels, we've we've spoken about it, have a massive hit or miss. Something like Train Spotting 2 was outstanding, like yeah. genuinely jaw-droppingly like, geez, that's just great. And then you got stuff like Zoolander 2, which is like, this is yeah. unforgivably shit. Uh, so that's another interesting one. And then lastly, Will, this is one that we've obviously uh, keeping tabs on. Apparently, it's all but announced that there will be Spider-Men in Spider-Man mm, 3. Yes. So Doctor Strange has been announced he'll be featuring in this third MCU Spider-Man film. Sam Raimi is, of course, directing the Doctor Strange, upcoming Doctor Strange movie. It's all lining up to be just a brilliant amount of fun. It's all lining up to go get Tobey Maguire in, get Andrew Garfield in, set it up at the end of Doctor Strange. That Mm. Doctor Strange, the film is called, uh, I think it's called Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So Doctor Strange returns from his adventure in his movie to Peter Parker with Peter Parker's. Yeah. And it's the, you can see the film ending, the classic, who are you? I'm Peter Parker. And then that's the go to black. Hold on. Spider-Man 3 comes out in five months. 
and we'll pick the story up there. So all the pitches we spoke, you know, Electro Jamie Foxx, who was in Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, it's not not difficult to assume then that we're going to have there are certain elements of Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, which could come into play, whether it be Mary Jane or whoever. Um, mm. But this could be the ultimate bus stop in between while we wait to figure out what the next big Avengers film is, the big yeah. sort of tie together, they all come together. This is sort of like the perfect... We're not there yet because, you know, we've got to introduce X-Men. We've got to introduce Fantastic Four. They're still, they're coming. But this is the perfect way to say, but until then, how about a big screen Spider-Verse? Here's all your Spider-Men and it'd just be brilliant fun. I, I can't wait to see how they do it. I wonder how long the executives have been sitting on this. Like, there's obviously been talk and stuff, but like, when did they first go, let's do this? And how long has it been sitting there? In I their, have a in theory. Their- in the back page. So I have a theory. So basically, we don't want to go into the ins and outs because it's a, it's a bit convoluted, but Sony have the rights effectively in media to Spider-Man, which is why the Spider-Man video games are only on Sony console um, and which is why it took so long for Spider-Man to enter the MCU. So Marvel initially had to do a deal with Sony, which was a huge, like, basically Marvel got nothing out of it. Basically, Marvel got to use the character and Sony get all the money. So Marvel wanted to introduce Spider-Man. They introduced him into Civil War and they had a five-picture deal. That five-picture deal um, more or less expires. So in re-upping the deal, Sony's attitude was, we still have the rights to this character on film, which you've established, which is really great. So we want to keep making movies with this character. But Marvel were like, well, we prefer you don't do that because you don't have any of the other characters and yeah. we've established this Spider-Man in our MCU. So Sony go and do Venom, which I didn't really like that much, but it's its own thing. It made a lot of money. They've done a, a film called Morbius, which is like a vampire. He's a character that exists in the Spider-Man lore. That's got um, Jared Leto, plays Morbius. Yeah. And it's also got Michael Keaton's um, Vulture. And then they obviously have the success with the animated Spider-Verse. So Sony, understandably, want this character who's all of a sudden worth a lot of money, bringing in a lot of cash, is established, whereas Marvel are like, well, we'd we'd probably prefer you didn't because it kind of compromises what we're trying to do and it bleeds the lines between these universes. Here's a solution, potentially. Do we use him to reintroduce other Spider-Men who we can then pick up our story from from a customer, from a viewer point of view, which exists in another universe? And these characters can kind of cross-pollinate, but what they do in a Sony movie doesn't influence what happens in a Marvel movie and vice versa. Yeah. So Tom Holland can hop into the Sony Spider-Verse and not be doing anything that Marvel have to be aware of or have to acknowledge. Mm. So it's this, it's a bit messy, but this is a way to, of them kind of pulling it off and keeping their characters separate. And potentially too, like I think this is... <clears throat> This is the best way to do it because you bring together like multiple generations of, you know, we spoke about Michael Keaton being Batman again. For people under the age of 25, it probably doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But if I see Keats turn up as Bruce Wayne, like I'll lose my mind. I'll be like, he's Batman. <laughs> it's Keats. And there'll be kids going, who's this old dude? I'll be like, he's fucking yeah. Batman. So I don't know. I reckon that's really interesting. Um, a lot of word over the weekend that was beginning to ramp up and there was a bit of speculation. 
Um, in a normal world, there'd probably be like a con they could go to to really announce it and push it. Obviously, with COVID, they can't. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see some stuff about that really ramp up because apparently production is ramping up on Spider-Man 3 in the next couple of weeks. So uh, they can't keep that a secret for too long. Um, and mm. if they announce it, it'll be all the buzz, but that's exciting. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, well, I've like I guess my side of news um, is... I've just been, before recording this, playing some COD with some friends. Um, and Activision have done something that they're not really known for. Um, like previously with Fortnite that I played, they were very open to changing a lot of the game for certain events, time of year, holidays. Oh, they like tie-ins and stuff. Yeah. Um, they, were, they did like Super Bowl and Halloween and stuff and Christmas and they changed the map. Um Activision, who do all the Modern Warfare um, titles, they have come out with a essentially Halloween Fortnite, um, not the game Fortnite, two weeks. Um, and they've gone to like a dark map. There's a zombies mode, um, which you're a fan of in your... I do like zombies. Yeah. Um, and I think they've nailed it on the... He- Nailed it on the head? Is that the... Hit the nail on the head? head? Yeah, hit the nail on the head. Um, Because at the moment, or this just finished, there was the next COD, there was a free beta that people could play, Um, which is essentially a demo Mm -hmm. where you play the next game, see how it runs, and it hasn't been received very well. Is this that Cold War one? Cold War, yeah. So it looks like it's got a great storyline and will have a good campaign, but... The multiplayer isn't the best. That's the problem, isn't it? Like, I think what you're talking about here is good. You need stuff that keeps things seasonally relevant. Yeah. And as and silly as, you know, yeah, Halloween they've is. Come out and, they've come out and done this, and then I assume they'll probably do like a... With the success of this, I think they'll change up how they operate. Like, they've brought in a Saw skin, Texas Chainsaw Massacre skin, um, and they've all got all these different kind of... Um, different things you can do to your guns. None of it's obviously pay to win, but it's something that yeah they're historically not known for, but they've smashed it. That'd and be terrifying, like on a on like a dark, like brooding map, having fucking Leatherface come out. Oh, it's crazy! It's so it, it is dark, and then like you can't see shit, mm. and then you go into a room, and then you open like you, when you open a chest now, there's like a scream that yes. happens in front of your face. And you're like, God, oh, Jesus! Like, no one needs kids, that. Kids that are playing this are gonna have a fucking heart attack. Gonna it's be like, there's going to be a lot of sleep apnea all of a sudden. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Activision and Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare slash Warzone, they've done very well. Um, and there's a couple little things going on in the game that you can play. So if you, if you are playing, jump on, have, have a bit of fun. Um, it's very uncod, but it's still great cod. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, I think you've got the new ball with your first pick of the week. Um, My pick number one is something that's... Basically, all of mine, well, two of mine were trending over the last two weeks on Ooh. Netflix. The Netflix executives would love me. I literally go on trending and just go, boom. Can play. I guess? Can I guess what one of your picks is? Yeah. Hubie Halloween. No. Damn it. <laughs> um, my first pick is David Attenborough, Life oh, on Our Planet. Yeah. So watch this just purely because everyone said to watch and obviously Attenborough's got his... Instagram account that he started in the last couple of weeks to coincide with the release of this. 
Um, and it's pretty, pretty shocking, I guess you could say. He's basically, he just recalls what he's seen change over the last kind of 60, 50, 60 years um, in the role that he's had. And the over, like, the overall message that you come away from it is, is basically we have to li- live more sustainably. But, like, to see what the human race has done is crazy. And there's a part of me that's quite selfish and goes, well, all the really, really bad stuff happened, like, post-World War Two, up until, like, 1980. And part of me is like, well, that's not my generation, so I'll do my best now. But then <laughs> that's – is that selfish? I think I it's think interesting, like – I think there's a degree of you can you can sometimes distance yourself from the problem. Like even me, like living here doesn't really affect me. What's yeah. going on wherever it might be, the far reaches of whatever, it doesn't really affect me because the, the, the water's still running and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think that when, when I see stuff like this Attenborough stuff, sometimes I find myself, it's twofold. This is going to be a weird criticism. But mm. David Attenborough gets so much credit for yeah. basically being a public spokesperson. Mm. Like he's, it's a bit like Bear Grylls in the way you go. He is underpinned by some of the best producers in the world. Hundred <laughs> percent. Like f- full on. Like what they capture, how they capture it, the technology they use, the patience they show, the research they do, etc. You go, it's ridiculous. These guys are the best of the best, guys and girls. Yeah. And he gets so much credit for being the guy with the great voice reading the voiceover. Mm. And you're like. And the, the flip side of that too is like when, when you talk about things that have changed in his travels and, and the like, the world is so much smaller than it was when he started doing this. Plus and, as well, and, but, when he started I'm, doing this, people were still exploring, finding exactly things. Exactly right. Finding civilizations. Exactly Everything's right. been found. Everything's been found. And more than that, you can pretty much get to anywhere on the world in the world. Yeah. If you want to. The deepest part of the jungle, the the most isolated parts of Russia, etc. You go back in the fifties, forty, forty, fifty, sixties, etc. You go. It was really very difficult to get anywhere that wasn't a major hub. Yeah, or mainland. Whereas like, main, now you can kind of go wherever you want, and this idea of what we've done and blah blah. You go. Well, you're just now. I don't disagree with that, but say for instance, using an example, say for instance, you could only walk. 10 steps away from your front gate. Now you can walk a hundred steps away. Yeah. And it's, it's this sense of the window to the world has been opened up exponentially since you started looking through it. And no question, no question man-made influence on, on the world is telling and, and it's there yeah. to be seen with deforestation and you know, glaciers and all that kind of stuff. Not a question in the world, but mm. I just think that there's a lot of factors, transport, technology, the means of seeing something, capturing it, visiting it and whatnot, which certainly mm. influenced that worldview. Yeah. It's just, and you kind of come away with it and he's, I'm not sure what his diet is, but he basically says if everyone eats less meat, we prolong the life of the planet, which makes sense. Um, and it's it's funny because we brought this up with kind of multiple, me, me and Maddie watched it, Bought it up with her parents. I think I've bought it up with my parents. And my parents at the moment, they're fine. They've gone keto. So they're not eating a whole lot of... They're eating quite sustainably. I was going to say, your dad's gone to the Flintstone diet. 
basically. Just eats nothing but red meat. <laughs> That's it. Um, it's but, milkshakes. Because it's blending yeah, it's like, up a T-bone. There is no chance in hell I will ever go vegetarian unless I physically cannot stomach meat. I love meat. Yes, I'll make a conscious effort to eat less meat and maybe have, you know, one night a week where it's vego. I don't even like, know if mad cow disease could get me off meat. <laughs> I said, there's nothing better than, like, a big... Juicy burger or steak. I'd be, or, I'd be cutting it up, and the guy'd be saying, "No, Sean, it's dangerous. It might kill you." He'd be like, "Going, yeah, I don't know about it. I, I, I don't care." Has oh, anyone got any salt? He's <laughs> like cutting it up, but look, it's it is is. I've I've heard a lot about it. I've heard that it's very good. Um, I don't know. I feel like we get one of these, you know, in, an inconvenient truth and all that yeah. kind of stuff. We get we get one of these stories every generation to come out and. Um, put the frighteners through people and, and the like. Mm. And it's interesting that my first pick of this week tackles various stories like this. And it's no question that if it was more sustainable to eat less meat, yeah, that's good for the planet and potentially good for our own health individually and collectively as a society. And you go, not a problem. It's also crippling for our economies. Yeah. And for, for huge sections of the community who rely on, those industries to survive, like literally survive, that they would need to be retrenched and, um, mm. you know, take up different lines in the work and, and the, the, you know, the list is endless. And you sort of go, sometimes shows like this, I think, try to make the solution really simple. Just eat less meat, Will. Well, there, there was and a couple like, that was basically, because it's all about population control as well. Mm. Like the more people that are born, the more people need to be fed, the more land needs to be cleared to make said food. And food, and I think it was, you know, uh, plants or, you know, vegetarian food takes X amount of space, mm-hmm. but a cow requires X times five amount of space. Well, not if you're keeping them in cages. <laughs> joking, joking, <laughs> tied up, kidding. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just it was interesting. Like they do have they have two or three real kind of plain and simple ideas on how people can change. And yeah, have you have you committed to taking any of them on board? Oh, not straight away, but <laughs> I'll make. I'll <laughs> so the big answer is no. You haven't. Like I, I. I don't think I sit there every week and go, okay, this night I'm not going to have meat. I think I just generally will not have as much meat as I was before without even but not thinking about it, if that makes sense. You're going to close down your own abattoir. Yeah. That you got, just, out, the, that you got out the back. Yeah, I, got, I better ship out all those bones and bits and cutaways. <laughs> but I just bought a new knife, a new... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, David Attenborough, Life on Our Planet, um, hour and 23 minutes. How old is he? He'd be 94, I reckon. Uh, I looked it up the other day. He's like late 80s, I think. Late 80s. He'd be 90, surely. David Attenborough. Uh, stand by. 94. 94? Are you, yes, on the money. Woo! Yeah. What a guess. God, I wonder, he's going to be like 
just in, not in the way of like docos like this, but just like, you know, the our planet, blue planet, planet Earth, blah, blah, blah. I would love to know who's waiting in the wings at the David Attenborough School of Narration for True. something, things like this. Who's the next guy? You know is it like Stephen, is it Stephen Fry? You know who, no, you know who's not bad and he narrated that Tottenham doco? I don't know how much of a conservationist he is, but he's he's got a pretty good voice, is Tom Hardy. Yes. I don't think he'd be interested in necessarily narrating these, but um, he's got a very got good, a, very good voice. Yeah, brilliant voice. Um, okay, so you're, gonna, you're giving that, it sounds like you're giving it a bit of a thumbs up, kind of. Yeah, I'll give it, out of a 10, I'll give it, like, it's got a 9.1 on IMDb. You enjoyed it, crazy. but you're not really to take it. on board any of its lessons. Yeah. Um, Half-hearted. Getting a private number call, won't answer it. Might be a job. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> oh, um, uh, so, yeah, David Ambrose, Life of Our Planet, give it a six and a half, seven. Okay, solid, solid. Well, my first pick of the week, this is something that if I'd have watched 10 years, well, probably not 10 years ago, if I'd have watched 15 years ago, I probably wouldn't appreciate it as much as I do. And I'm glad in a lot of ways that I didn't wait as such, but I just didn't watch it. And there's no really real reason as to why I haven't watched it, but 12 days ago, I thought, you know what? I'm going to give The West Wing a go. I know people <laughs> yeah. who have watched The West Wing and they love it and they rave about it. Maybe it's mm-hmm. the political theatre of the moment in America particularly, and I thought, you know what? I've heard nothing but good things about this. There's no reason why I haven't watched it to date. In 12 days, Will, I have watched 92 episodes of The West Wing. <laughs> that is not God. a joke. I have watched all of season four and I'm part of the way through season five. I'm watching 7.6 episodes of the West Wing a day. How many? It's how a 40 odd they? minute show. 40 minutes. Yep. I, <laughs> I have torn through this stuff. When this, there's only 155 episodes, I think. When this show ends, I'll be cruising St Kilda offering hand jobs for a West Wing like hit. <laughs> I'll be cruising around going, anyone got some new content? Anyone got some new West Wing? <laughs> How have you watched two other two other forms of content this week, these well, two weeks? What, what are my other choices? Um, one of them I watched before I got into the West Wing, like the night before. And then the other one we were going to record potentially yesterday, but I was like, I've literally got to watch something. So I had to, <laughs> I had to watch this show, which I've been putting off, um, which I'll get to next, obviously. So basically the West Wing, if you don't know it, Aaron Sorkin's magnum opus. It's his um, just unbelievable representation of American politics and particularly the administration of the fictional president, Jed Bartlett, played by Martin Sheen. Um, it is phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, look, at probably some of the criticisms levelled at it have been it's, it's sort of very, it's portrayal of politics and particularly American politics and particularly the presidency is, is perhaps a little aspirational. It's, a, it's perhaps sort of mired in this wrought political idealism. And I absolutely see that. Yeah. Like there, there could only be a president or a, a, a politi- uh, political, I'll get that out. There could only be a president or a political leader or a politician like Jed Bartlett on TV. Mm. Someone like him couldn't exist in reality. And that is a, a equal parts a shame and a reality where you go, it's disappointing that there could be no one like Jed Bartlett because, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a character written for TV and written for purpose, but at the same time, it's just unrealistic that someone like this would exist. Mm. But it, it is, the show is breathtaking. Like, it's writing, it's construction, like the, the issues it tackles, how it tackles them, 
um, it's classic Sorkin, you know, that a lot's been made of the Sorkin walk and talk. You know, they, they cut through the set and characters are talking to each other as they're walking around and, and whatnot. But um, like I said, I've watched 92 episodes in 12 days. Like I just Is it that good? Tearing through them. Tearing wow. through them. And it's, I think, like I said, I touched on earlier, <clears throat> if I'd watched it years ago, I might not have fully grasped, like, the scope of it. I'd go, yeah, it's good. But the way he writes characters and the way he writes conflict and the way he writes with intelligence. This yeah. is a show that was on network TV. <clears throat> I think it was on NBC from memory. Right. Network TV aren't airing shows like this anymore. They're just not. And for yeah. whatever, for whatever reason, not enough people watch them. The audience isn't, isn't thought of as smart enough. I don't know. But the fact that this is on network TV is jaw dropping that a network anywhere in the world had the balls to go, we're going to do a 22-episode-a-season political drama. And, yes, it has some quirky, funny moments here and there, which is great. And as you get to know the characters, their quirks fuel some comedy and, and the like. But yeah, a, a, a writing, performance-driven show on network TV is just a no, generally speaking. You get, you know, yeah. your, you get your procedurals like Law and & Order and, you know, those types of shows. But, yeah. you know, we spoke about Perry Mason in one of the first episodes that those – law or courtroom dramas are like a staple of American mm. TV. Mm-hmm. Political shows, for as political as they are, just aren't. Yeah. You think about it, you go like, MASH was a, a political-ish show set during a war. Mm-hmm. You're like, other than that, man, I don't know. Like, in the history of television. So, this show is an absolute triumph. If you haven't watched it yet, um, it's not for everyone. It's a bit like it. It's a bit like anything. It's not for everyone, but... Man, like it's just, it's just fantastic to watch a guy kind of figure out his rhythm. He'd done some good stuff. He'd done Aaron Sorkin, that is. He'd, he'd written plays and he'd written A Few Good Men, which obviously an excellent film, nominated for Best Picture. Um, he'd done a show called Sports Night, which was a bit of an appetizer for this kind of thing. He's gone on to do Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, which was a great show, only lasted one season, and uh, uh, The Newsroom which was another good show and they lasted three seasons and they're all very similar, all very, I don't say cookie cutter in a bad way, but they're his style. Mm. They're all in his style. Really the only thing that he's done that doesn't fit his groove is like Moneyball, where you watch Moneyball and you're like... Which we both say, great movie. Unbelievable movie. Mm. On the Ian Prendercast, I said once many years ago, we graded like... uh, my top 10 sports movies of the 21st century, Moneyball's the best. Mm. In my opinion, the best sports film made in the 21st century. Um, when you know Aaron Sorkin has written that, you're like, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah. But if you didn't, whereas stuff like Molly's Game, did you see that? He wrote, that was the first film he directed. He, um, J- Jessica Chastain and Idris Elba, it was about a uh, true story based on this lady's memoir who held like high stakes celebrity poker games. No. Um, that's a really good movie, but that that's like a Sorkin movie. It feels like a Sorkin movie. Mm. Um, he's actually got a new film that just came out on Netflix called uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7, which is a true story, um, which I'm hoping right. to get to in the next couple of days. Mm. West Wing might get in the I've way I've just that. gone down the weirdest West Wing rabbit hole. Tell me. So looked up um, West Wing and then looked up Jed Bartlett. Yep. And then I was like, oh, Martin Sheen. I, lo- I love Martin Sheen. And then clicked on Martin Sheen's, like, Google page. You know, he's got one arm longer than the other. Really? Yeah, Martin Sheen, he had an issue when he was was born and he was pulled out of the womb. 
and there was something where they the forceps had grabbed, I think it's his left arm, but his arm, one of his arms is like a couple inches longer than the other. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, didn't realise. He's 80 years old. That's crazy. But then when you think, okay, Charlie Sheen, he's like getting on. That makes sense. And then I looked at his name. Don't don't you do this to me. He's, he's Emilio's dad. Yeah, I had no idea. R- Ramon Antonio Gerardo Estevez. I was like, Estevez, I know that last name. Fucking Emilio Estevez. What the shit? Charlie Sheen is Carlos Estevez. That, I, like, why did they change to Sheen? Was Estevez, was Estevez name tainted or something? No, no, I think it was just more about Angle, as bad as it sounds. It's just anglicising. It's, it's an old Hollywood thing where people would anglicise their name or go to a more common name. Michael Keaton's name is Michael Douglas, but there was already a Michael Douglas. So he really liked, I think the story was, it was like Buster Keaton. <laughs> so he took Keaton, you know, wrestlers as a less high profile example. But, but how come the last three kids kept their last name? Is um, that because Charlie Sheen was such a flog and they were like, whoa. No, no, no. I think it's just different, different stage names, different things. Emilio might've thought, I want to kind of get away from the Sheen brother of son of. Yeah. maybe thing in terms of his career. But I think the story goes that his dad was obviously uh, of Latin descent. His mum was just an American lady. And that's why he doesn't like, he doesn't look Hispanic really at all. Chicken, his wife, Janet Sheen, Chicken Janet calls him Ramon. Uh, Ramon. Um, What's Janet's full name? Janet Elizabeth Estevez. I mean, look, I don't know Janet personally, so I, I can't speculate. I, maybe she would call him Ramon. Not crazy. But it's strange. Like, for us, if we saw him in the street, Martin Sheen. Mm. If we saw Charlie Sheen, it'd be Charlie Sheen. But it's like, privately... Hey, Carlos. <laughs> Carlos. But privately, it's like, yeah, like his family might call him Carlos or yeah. Charlie or whatever. But... No, look, the, the West Wing is is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. I loved it. Uh, and like I said, I'm really grateful that I've watched it when I have at this stage, as long as I've waited. Um, I've binged it like you wouldn't believe. That's taken away some of the tension, as I'm sure you can imagine, from some, uh, you know, when, when like a storyline cliffhanger ends and I'm just yeah. like, cue that next episode up, baby. Let's find out what happened right now. You know, I'm not having to wait a week. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, in closing, one of my favourite parts about the West Wing is the most you know, uh, sensational political, you know, machination of all time could happen. A character could die, like in tragic circumstances. Yeah. The most serious thing, you know, the world's fast on a knife's edge. How will Jed and his team handle this? And it's like we go to black with circumstances as bad as they could possibly be. No matter what, the episode ends with this really upbeat, like, credits music. (laughs) So, like, someone could be shot. Are they dead? What's happened? Da, 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 da. You go into like credits and you're like, what the fuck? It's brilliant. Mm. I love it. Every episode, it's like ends on a real like tearjerker cliffhanger and this incredibly up-tempo music takes us to the credits. And I'm like, can't you just get like a more somber refrain? Can't you just get like a version of that in a, in a minor key? Yeah. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. West Wing is outstanding. Um, talk to me on Twitter if you've watched it and if you love it uh, because I'm – I'm getting through this show like it's no one's business. At this rate, I will be finished. I'm only, <laughs> I think, like I said, there's like I think I've got 62 episodes. I'll get those in a, through those in a week. So, uh, love it, love it, love it. Two massive thumbs up. Have you seen Designated Survivor? No, that's the one where it's the series where like 
every parliamentary meeting, one person sits out in case something happens. And dies, yeah. Is it, Kiefer, is it Kiefer Sutherland? Yes. Yes, I've heard of it. I haven't seen it, I've heard of it. Yeah, I, I remember when that came out, I smashed out like the first two seasons and then I went back to it, it kind of lost its, nah, it lost its thing. Um, but uh, quite similar in the way of like, there's just one thing after the other. There's always some sort of terrorism threat and something's going on and then someone who was meant to die in the big explosion comes back. It's just I think there's no upbeat my, music to look, finish every episode. No, it's very jarring. Look, my mm. biggest takeaway is, and this isn't a knock on Trump, this is a knock on or no one in particular, the level like of emotional intelligence, intelligence full stop, awareness, you know, breadth of like memory and recall and the like, the level of competency required to be a serious leader, let alone a world leader, yeah, is unbelievable through the roof. And you watch a show like this and you go like, I just, even on my most switched on days, when I've had my eight hours, I'm ready to go. I just don't think I'd have to focus the patience. <laughs> Yeah, and like a guy like Trump certainly wouldn't sitting in these Situation Room meetings, or oh. sitting in a cabinet meeting or whatever. He'd be looking at his watch. He'd be the kid in the class that's looking at the clock. Yeah, and he'd and, have his he'd have have all of his like executives doing stuff and just like and and then look, he's not alone. And he's I'm not hungry. alone. He's not alone. It's not a, a purely no. a, a knock on him. It's a knock on. There are so few people who possess the skills, the competency to do jobs like these effectively. Yeah. And it, look, and there's all these great political plot lines that kind of flow through the show and um, there's a great episode where they make the call to assassinate uh, this sort of um, uh, defence secretary of this fictional Arab state. And, like, yeah. they make the call to do it and it's the moral, is it right, is it wrong? And then they wear the consequences when obviously people start asking questions about how did this guy die and... Um, this fictional Arab state are, like implicating Israel in doing it to try to draw out a confession from America. You know, yeah. it, there's all these great little plot lines. It's a soap opera, but just with enormous stakes. Hmm. So it's very good. I love it. I highly recommend it to those who haven't watched it and those who have watched it likely have done it multiple times because it's brilliant. Awesome. Um, my second pick I have to go back to combing is... my beard. <laughs> Is something uh, a little left field. I didn't really see myself watching it until I kind of literally just turned it on. I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to watch it. I'd never sort it out. It just kind of popped up. Um, the Dirt. Oh, is that the Motley Crew? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I had a very, very basic understanding of Motley Crew. Um, knew that Tommy Lee was in it and a handful of songs. Um, but one of my best memories of Motley Crue is we have an old boss, I'm not going to mention his name, where... I knew, I knew we were going here. He, he loved this He loved this music. He loved, like, a, he loved like 80s hair metal. <laughs> for, for, for a hairless man, he had loved, he loved he made up metal. for He made up for his lack of hair with his, <laughs> his love of hair metal. Um, and there's this great memory of us going to lunch and we just, he chucks the radio on Triple M or something and then kicks up my heart. <laughs> and, and I just, I like, I don't think I'd been working with him for that long, maybe a couple of months. We'd gone to lunch in, um, into the city and he just starts like drumming, drumming on the driving, on the, on the steering wheel. I was like, what, what is this man become? 
Um, totally so in his in his wheelhouse. Absolutely in his wheelhouse. <laughs> the yeah, crew. So forever. Kickstart My Heart has been this song that has always had such a funny memory in my head. Um, so I went to... <laughs> he was also a really I... big fan of like, remember, remember the sound cube? And we'd... <laughs> We'd put on stuff like uh, like poison. Yeah. <laughs> he was a huge fan of that garbage, like Brett Michaels style. Like it was great. It was great. He owned it um, though. Like he freely owned. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. So yeah, chucked on the dirt, knowing as well um, that a rapper called Machine Gun Kelly played Tommy Lee, mm. um, who's tattered all over, and for the movie, he basically had to get make, made up every day, um, which oh, I couldn't think you, of anything worse. Wouldn't you just like say, look, how long will they last? Just chuck them on and we'll redo them. Like when we, in a couple of days. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, it's, it was, I was unsure of how, like how it was going to be shot. I was really hoping that it wasn't like a, um, like a rocket man type. Fucking hated rocket where they man. Just, like, I hated rocket break. man so much. <laughs> Where they just like break out into song in the middle of this scene, I was like, "Ah, oh, Jesus!" But um, I loved the narration of it. Um, I loved the comedy style of it. Um, it's very real at points. It kind of like it drops its um, drops its comedy side of it, and I yeah, I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it. And I was watching it at home, and think Dad was working from home. It was just us home. Did he do I this or did he do the, did, did, did he, Was he a bit like, as soon as the music sort of pops his hair out, going, is that crew? <laughs> no, but I, I had it up fairly loud, I, I would think, on, on the main TV in, in the lounge room. And he comes out through essentially his lunch break. He goes, what are you watching? Look at him, he says, meow. You know what's so funny about bands like this? They've got like a, their fans... They've got a lot of like closeted fans. <laughs> They've got yeah. a lot of people who are like ashamed to admit, like yeah. I really like Crew or Poison or whoever. I really like them. Mm. But like when their stuff comes on, they're like just hanging around in the background for a while. Yeah. And then if but someone I, goes, "What are you doing?" I'm just going back to work now. <laughs> but I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a pl- it was a pleasant surprise. A good the comedy like obviously there's real there's real drama bits in there that obviously happened um, and. There's obviously things that are, you know, probably accentuated, um, given it is a movie. But some dramatic um, license. Yeah, but the co- like the comedy side of it is amazing, um, and it just kind of shows what they went through. And I feel like every band goes through this thing where, where they, you know, get a bit iffy, and then one person leaves and they come back. And um, it's all about ego, isn't it? Yeah, they get big, and then egos clash and it's like rather than just be happy being successful they they kind of ructions form tensions form and yeah um but yeah I, it hasn't got great reviews and great scores but i would happily I'm, i won't watch it again but if i ha- if i needed a reason to watch it i would i wouldn't be like oh, i've already seen i can't be bothered yeah, if you're in guantanamo bay and they said we're going to torture a confession out of you we're going to throw on the yeah. dirt until you talk. You'd be like, mm. I've probably got three or four watches in me before I crack. <laughs> um, so then I just, like like I do with any kind of biographical uh, movie, you just end up in these Wikipedia holes just looking about information about people and whatnot. And you didn't realise Tommy Lee had, had had so many partners before 
Um, I think he had two before Pamela Anderson and he's dating this girl who at the moment, or married to this girl, who she was a huge... Do you remember Vine? What? Who? Not the band, like the app. Yeah, 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 yeah. Six, yeah. Se- six, and sec- uh, six second videos. Yeah, so she was on. She was huge on Vine, um, <laughs> and now she's now she's Tommy Lee's. Talk uh, about a great epitaph on your headstone. Huge on Vine. <laughs> huge. <laughs> huge. Yeah. You have no idea how huge I was on Vine. <laughs> um. So yeah, Machine Gun Kelly did a great job. Um. I don't know what Tommy Lee was like as a younger man, but. I assume it was pretty similar to what Machine Gun Kelly portrayed. Um, and knowing of Machine Gun Ch- Kelly and then seeing him in, as this role was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, Douglas Booth did a great job at Nikki Six. I feel like, um, again, I don't have the hugest knowledge of them, but uh, it was a uh, it was a great. What? Okay, just. We'll just pause here. We're not pausing, actually. At the moment, I'm watching Sean um, pick something up. He's taking his headphones off. He's disappeared from the camera. Um, he's got his headphones on the wrong way, and now we're back. What just happened? Sorry, I think, I think uh, my nephew's arrived downstairs, and I've just got his birthday present on the ground, so I had to uh, I just had to cover, cover it over. Oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. Can't ruin the surprise. No, he comes in. He'd probably poke around it anyway. Probably be, what's this? He'd be like, don't touch it. <laughs> Um, oh, visitors, naughty, naughty, naughty. <laughs> um, ADF, yeah. ADF are monitoring this podcast. <laughs> Allegedly, your your nephew's coming. He's arrived Allegedly. in spirit. He hasn't physically arrived. <laughs> um, so yeah, the dirt came out last year. I thought it was this year, but um, based on based on the book um, that they released, uh, and yeah. Good watch if you just need to fill time, but you definitely don't have time to fill with the West Wing. So, got 62 more episodes. Chuck it on the back burner. Um, recommend it if anyone likes the crew. Um, it's a hard one to sell, isn't it? Because if you do like the crew, you've seen it. Yeah. So if you don't really like them, it's a bit like me with Rocket Man. I've got no idea why I watched it because, oh. in fairness to the movie, I don't really like. Um, <laughs> I just drew a blank on the guy's name, Elton John. I don't really like a lot of Elton John's stuff. So I remember sitting there watching this film going, I was never going to like this because I don't really like the music. But I watched it for Taron Egerton. Yeah. He was like, he was good. He was fine. But it's like, I just hated the, I hated it so much. I just yeah. remember sitting in the cinema and just thinking, is there a way to overdose on this popcorn or something? Is there a way to cause like a fucking health emergency? Did you watch it in the cinemas? Yeah. Uh, I waited till it came out on s- streaming. I just could not be bothered. I wouldn't have gotten. I wouldn't have gotten fifteen minutes through it if I watched it at home. I think I was watching it with, with my family, and I was like, felt guilty if I'd left because I think Maddie was over as well. So I was like, well, uh, I've committed. I'm going to go to bed. Go. It's three thirty <laughs> in the afternoon. Go. Yep. <laughs> um. So yeah, the dirt. Big fan. Not big fan. Fan. Big enough fan. Big enough fan to recommend it to anyone that watches, uh, watches that listens to the crew. And I did, you know, I did link it and recommend our former boss to watch it. So who knows if he has watched it? I'll, I'll, I'll give you an update. I'll follow him up. Um, you know, as follows on from the spate of those music buyers, they're like all the rage at the moment, aren't they? Mm. Um, Which I don't hate. I do. You enjoy finding out how, you know, 
how bands and whatnot formed and all the dramas that, that are that's entailed with that. If it's the right artist <clears throat> too, and, and look, in fairness to Motley Crue, they've got a lot of fun sort of songs which do lend themselves to a visual medium. You can have a bit of fun yeah. sort of cutting them together. So good stuff. My second pick of the week is what I had to watch yesterday, so I had three things to talk about because I've been watching too much West Wing. Um, <laughs> the Right Stuff. So The Right Stuff, it's on Disney Plus at the moment. It's a Nat Geo production as well as Disney Plus, so obviously Disney-owned National Geographic. Um, effectively just a new drama series based on the 1979 book of the same name, which was adapted into a 1983 film. Um, basically just charts the early stages of the Mercury Project under NASA. So the, the right stuff was the um, attribution given to the seven Mercury uh, program test pilots, the most famous of three, Gus Grissom, who was obviously in um, First Man, I think mm-hmm. Gus Grissom, actually, I think he was played by um, Jason Clark in First Man, and he was the one who kept saying Gemini. <laughs> so anyway, he was, a, he was a test pilot in this Mercury project, as was Alan Shepard. Um, Alan Shepard was the first American into space, um, and uh, John Glenn, who was the first American to orbit the Earth. Um, so basically... The Mercury Project was what led to the Apollo, or to Gemini, which what led to the Apollo, which what led to them getting to the moon. So The Right Stuff is eight, uh, eight-part docu-sort of drama series, kind of. Uh, Patrick yeah. Adams, who we know as uh, from Suits, plays John Glenn. Uh, Jake McDorman, who was um, the lead on the Limitless TV show. He's been in a bunch of stuff. He was, he was in uh, a show I used to watch called Greek many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good to see him sort of kicking on. Um it's a little bit like First Man meets like Mad Men, you know, set in the in the late fifties, early sixties. Okay. Um, and it's gotten a bit of criticism for perhaps being, how do I say? Um, I'm just trying to think. It's it's gotten a bit of criticism for like characterization, but there's always dramatic mm. license in this stuff. Like you've seen First Man, you reviewed it on this show. Um, yeah. The astronauts, as depicted in First Man, were very dry. Yeah. But I think that's what they would be like. These are very smart guys, very serious guys, um, a lot of pressure, a lot of danger, a lot of stakes. I think they'd be really dry. There's the famous story from um, Neil Armstrong when he was testing uh, a particular flight apparatus during his time at NASA prior to the Apollo 11, where he was involved in a near-fatal crash, and he legitimately ejected out, got up from the wreckage, and was really incredibly like measured about uh, there was a failure in booster two, blah 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 blah. And it's like you've seen a bunch of your mates, fellow test pilots, etc., for years, be incinerated, be yeah. killed, whatever. You should have been another one of them. You've just gotten up from the thing and gone, yeah, this is what didn't work. Not frazzled, not affected. Etc. I think that's just how they were. So, in the right stuff, a lot of these actors, a lot of these characters, I should say, are far more, far more sort of Joe Namath strutting, like a guy like Alan Shepard, for instance, is like um, a big man on campus, a lot of personality, a bit of a philanderer, kind of cheating on his wife, a lot of you know that kind of stuff. He's, he's a rock star, yeah. and that's how he's portrayed. Whereas John Glenn is the more straight down the line. Um, NASA astronaut that you might come to expect. And a lot of people have criticised that characterization. All I'll say to that is it'd be a pretty friggin' boring show if 
they were as dry as they probably were. Like the show needs yeah. to take that dramatic license to make it a bit sexier, to make it a bit more colourful, to yeah. lean into that sort of fifties, sixties era. Um, and I think I think it works. I, I like I said, I think a lot of the reviews have been feast or famine, really positive or quite negative. I'm probably after three episodes more in the positive camp. Mm-hmm. Um, only because I'm willing to, we always say, afford them the suspension of disbelief that these characters aren't necessarily true to life. They are dramatic interpretations um, that best serve what the show is trying to present. But look, I I find it quite interesting. The first episode was perhaps a little bit light, a little bit procedural. They kind of rushed through how we got to the seven men who end up being the Mercury Seven, um, the, the selection process. We get a little bit of that, a little bit of backstory about who our main characters are. Um, which is you know, obviously what they need to do to set the show up. Um, the second episode is a little bit more meat on the bone, kind of confronts the reality that NASA are building this program from scratch. They're in a dogfight with the USSR to not just get into space, to get further than that. And we start kind of building a little bit of the the confrontation, not just in the space program, but within the team. Because I think the most interesting element for me is the character element that we spoke about the band earlier, there's so much ego when there's so much on the line. You know, these Mm. guys come into this room from the Navy, the military, the Marines, um, Air Force, et cetera. They're the best of the best. So for the first time in their life, there's a bit of insecurity. They're in a room with someone who might be better than them. Yeah. And that breeds, you know, ego. That breeds confrontation. That breeds... You know, guys looking around, looking out of the corner of their eyes, looking at, you know, the competition and for once feeling potentially inferior. And when what was on the line was first man into space, first man to orbit the moon, first man on the moon, first man mm. to walk on the moon, etc. You sit there going, that's legacy. That's fucking, you become a legend. Yeah. And for people of a certain age, like your dad, for instance, like my dad, you say the name... You know, Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier. You say the name Alan Shepard, John Glenn, and they immediately go, yeah, 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 get it, NASA. And they'll immediately know he was this, he was this, he was this. Whereas because if someone says Takashi 69... My dad, would, my dad would be thinking, <laughs> what the fuck is that? Is that, a, is that a new kind of like, you know... Like, sex move? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, is that a new kind of like Japanese takeout or something? Um, but... Like I said, I love I love that kind of, you know, central to any great leap forward, you know, whether it be a seismic, you know, scientific, political or technological shift. There is ego, there is rivalry, there is self-interest between the countries, between the guys who are racing to be the first. And, you know, when you get to the pointy end of any endeavour, that's the best yeah. of the best. You don't come across people who are your equal until you get to that pointy end. And like I said, three episodes in, um, very similar to the show called is it for Astronauts Wives or something? First Astronauts Wives? I never watched it, but it's drew some comparisons to that. First Man, Mad Men are the natural ones. Um, shows like this obviously always have it difficult because we know how it ends. We know that Alan Shepard does the suborbital flight. We know that John Glenn orbits the Earth. We know that ultimately uh, Gus Grissom unfortunately dies. We know that um, in, a, in the accident he gets sealed into the fucking pod and his crew, they get killed. It's horrible. We know that 1969, Neil Armstrong gets to the moon, etc. We know. So the tension isn't necessarily in how they get there because we know how they get there. But it, it's the fun of watching, like, there's a bit early on where a young guy goes to this Air Force base and he asks for whatever this agency is. I'm here to blah, blah, blah. 
and it's just two dudes in this empty room with a couple of desks and drawers, it's NASA. <laughs> like in 1959, it's that's NASA. Yeah. And these are two guys that have been told by Eisenhower, we've got to beat Russia into space. We don't know how to get there. We don't know how you're going to get there. We don't really care, but you have to get there. So that's all the interesting stuff there. Really good. Um, I'm really enjoying it. Like I said, three episodes in, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really liking um, the way it's presented, the way it's set up. I understand that it's not necessarily historically accurate in all regards, but we pay it the courtesy of going on the ride with it. Um, It's on Disney Plus, like I said, uh, and a really good watch if you want to give it the time, if you like that kind of stuff, if you've got an interest in that kind of stuff. And by that kind of stuff, I mean space travel and period shows, you know, something set in the 50s and 60s, definitely check it out. Yeah. I am a fan. And I'll be looking forward to uh, this week's episode. Um, Not necessarily a big fan, but I I think what I like too is that, I don't know if it will just because the reviews haven't been great, but you can see the trajectory, if you pardon the uh, flight pun, if you, you can see the trajectory how this season probably gets us to, whether it be Alan Shepard's, um, suborbital flight or John Glenn in space. Mm-hmm. But you can see how they can do more. Yeah. You can see how this can cover the whole 60s and this can get get us into the Gemini project, Gemini, sorry, and onto the Apollo missions. You can kind of see that through line if they do more seasons. It can still exist as its own Mercury, you know, a show about the Mercury project. Mm-hmm. Um but hopefully that if it does well enough, they can do more. But uh, definitely check it out. I, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I think that sometimes we take for granted that a show like this can sort of get lost a bit in, you know, there's so many shows on now, Netflix, Disney, HBO Max, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. That stuff like this can kind of get a bit lost, but it is very good. I do uh, recommend checking it out. Nice one. Um, well, my last pick is something that I've seen kind of, a little bit of publicity on Instagram about it. Um, and again, it was, tre- it's been trending on Netflix for a couple of weeks. Um, Enola Holmes. Oh my God. Can I just say before you get started, I tried to watch this last week. Right. I got 20 minutes into it and just went, I can't do this. You should have stuck it out. I, and first, tw- first 20 is hard. It's, it was a graft, man. And the worst thing about it was without stepping on your toes, I do apologize. It wasn't that I was hating it. I thought that, um, Millie Bobby Brown was really charismatic and bubbly. I yeah. thought she was she was good. I thought the production design was good. Yeah. I thought that um, Henry Cavill, yeah, you know, as Sherlock was good. Um, I've drawn a blank on the guy who's Mycroft. Um, he played Sam Claflin. He played uh, Duncan Duncan Edwards in a Manchester United bio about um, the Munich air crash. Um, I just, I fucking, I don't know what it was. It wasn't that I was hating it or whatever. I just went, I can't watch this thing. I don't know what, it's just not working for me. I think, you know what happened? What? That first 20 minutes was a bit of a slog. And then I did the old look at the time code and the film goes for like two hours. Yeah. And I'm like, oh shit. If it mm. was, if it was a tight 90, I probably would have gone, yeah, okay. The, yeah, the first 20 half is a little bit like, oh, come on. Like I know there's something in here. You just got to get to it. Um, I by the end of it, I I enjoyed it. Okay. Um, Millie Bobby Brown, I can't wait to see roles when she's like a woman, to because she's still she's still playing kid roles. Um, 
I think this might be one of the last she might do before she plays like a adult role. Um, but yeah, as you said, Henry Cavill does a great uh, does a great job as Sherlock. I, I think um, is Mycroft Holmes. Is he is he like a is he known? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's his older brother. Okay, right. Um, I didn't really know a lot of the history behind behind Sherlock, other than what I learnt from the Robert Downey Jr. movies. Stephen Fry um, played him in um, Game of Shadows. Yeah, there you go. He was quite um, funny. He was quite good. But uh, yeah, I I really enjoyed it. It's a I don't I don't want to say cute movie, but like he has she has this friendship, almost relationship towards the end with this young rich boy who's also trying to disappear. Um, and they just, I think they've just done it. I think they've done it quite well. Um, I just think she's got, I just think that this is a role that's really good for her because it does show her she's, she's obviously 11 and she's known for being 11. Yeah. And the first season in particular doesn't really give her a lot to do in stranger things. No. She gets a little bit more free as the seasons go on. Yeah. But this is the first thing where you can kind of divorce her from 11 yeah. And she gets to play a pretty different character. And the biggest thing to come out of this film for her, having only watched 20 minutes of it, is, no, you're, you're, you're the real deal. I think she'll fill the void that um, Emma Watson could have had mm. post-Harry Potter. But I think the tag of Harry Potter was just so big that she wasn't able to do anything else huge. I think she'll just fill that. She'll get that... Similar to what Margot Robbie's done over the last probably five years, I think not she'll be do like the, the hot blonde. I think she'll do the she'll young adult. The, she'll do the young adult yeah. roles. She'll she'll like she'll be the marquee. We've got to get Millie Bobby Brown in. You know, she might be a bit like we spoke about him earlier. Tom Holland got that big platform as Spider Man, and then all yeah. of a sudden, everyone's like, "Yeah, this guy's pretty good." If we need someone to play like that, eighteen to twenty-three, yeah. Like this guy's a good, but look, like I said, my my immediate takeaways was were from the film was she's killing it. It was like yeah. she's she's doing everything she can with this material, um, and she's a really charismatic, really compelling lead. I don't know what it yeah. was. Maybe it was at the mood. I, I, maybe I have to go back and watch it because it was. It wasn't that I was hating it. It was just something about it where I was like, I don't know. Just felt so exposition heavy early. Yeah. And she does some awesome action scenes as well. There's this guy that's essentially trying to um, trying to kill the other dude um, that she's mucking around with. And obviously there's stunt doubles and whatnot, but um, you can see it's at some points that it is her. Mm-hmm. And credit to her, she does it well. Um, and I think it also adds to the, adds, like just tracks it in her resume that she's not, just gonna play some pretty girl. She can like. You don't have to do lots of like. You don't have to do lots of wide shots and. Yeah. <laughs> you know the greatest example of that is Dad and I always laugh. So, when whenever there's a new James Bond film, one of the great um, features is that Foxtel runs like the pop up channel. Yeah. So earlier in the year, when in April, when No Time to Die was meant to be out, they run the pop up channel where they just run the Bond films back to back to back, and it's great because for like a week or two, you just always know there's a Bond film on. Which one is it? Oh yeah. Sean Connery is the greatest, like, lazy actor of all time. If the camera wasn't literally three feet from his head, he was not in the shot. 
That was not Sean Connery. And they used some of the most brilliantly awful doubles. You go back and watch those Connery Bonds, particularly probably like Thunderball on. So for the first three, he was like, I'm in this. This is all me. And then after that, he was like, no. No, if you need someone to walk up that hill, that's not me. And they use like guys have like the wrong haircuts. They're not even seem to be wearing the same suit. It's yeah. They're brilliant. <laughs> Some of the worst doubles you've ever seen. They're just hilarious. I guess, like, it, when you get to that point, you signed up for films. They know, you yeah. know that they need you. So you're like, I'm not doing it. Have I told you the, the classic, have I told you? It's not even my story. The, the classic Kevin Smith story about Bruce Willis. He's got heaps. Search Kevin Smith, Bruce Willis. He tells some fantastic stories from working with him. But one of the first he told was he was brought on to do like a day or two's work on Die Hard 4. So he played uh, Warlock, which is like the hacker. And apparently all throughout shooting, um, the director and the writers had been basically saying, we need to do a huge exposition dump to set up our villain, to set up the last part of our movie. We'll just put it in the Warlock scene. We'll just put it in the Warlock scene. So the film eventually gets to the Warlock scene and they realise we actually haven't really written anything. We don't know how to handle this. Kevin Smith was brought on to do it. It was literally a day, day or two shooting, very small scene, but an important scene. And the director came and said, look, um, we don't really know what we're doing in this scene. We've got to, got, to let, got, to let, got to do a lot of heavy lifting, get a lot of stuff out of the way, blah, blah. Do you want to have a look at the script? And he read it and he goes, yeah, look, do you want me to have a go at like rewriting it? He goes, and he wasn't, he's very good. He wasn't big noting himself. Do you want me to kind of, in my style, like have a bit of a go at, and the director said, not a problem, have a, have a crack at it. So Kevin mm. Smith, he goes, what do you want to be in it? And the guy told him we need to say this, 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 and this. So Kevin Smith had a crack at it. He rewrote it, um, got it back to the director, um, Len Wiseman, I think his name. He read it and was like, love it. It was fantastic. Exactly what we need. It was really good. Um, Bruce Willis, who's a producer on the film, read it. He goes, really good. He goes, yep, happy with this. This is exactly what we need. There was obviously some complexities because he's not a, an accredited writer. Kevin Smith said, I don't need to be credited one way or the other. I'm, I don't need it. But they said, look, legally we need to clear it with the studio because it is a, re- a rewrite. Um, we send it over to them, blah, blah, blah. This is at like lunchtime. They send the script pages over. Three o'clock, they haven't heard anything back. Five o'clock, haven't heard anything back. He goes, Kevin Smith said, by this point I'm sitting around going, like if I've done nothing for five hours on one of my movie sets, I'm losing my mind because this is costing me money. Yeah. These big studios don't care. Doesn't matter. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Doesn't matter. Um, eventually they call up to Paramount and say, what's the problem? Script page is approved, blah, blah, blah. Oh, look, I'm not sure. We've got some problems. Oh, blah, I'm not sure. Okay, well, work it out quickly. Get back to us. Another hour goes past. It's dark now. Not a huge problem. They're filming inside on a set. But they finally, Bruce Willis apparently goes, what's the issue? I'll ring him. So Bruce Willis picks up the phone to the, like a pretty senior figure at Paramount. And he goes, he's talking, he's going, yeah. Uh-huh. He goes, I think it's good. I think it works. Uh-huh. Yep. Well, let me ask you this. Who's your second choice to play John McClane? <laughs> and then he hangs up and goes, all right, we're good to go. <laughs> it's just that classic, like, brilliant. He goes, yeah, well, that's fine. He goes, but if you don't approve it, I walk. And then the guy mm-hmm. goes, well, we can't do that because you're the movie. So <laughs> but it's, he tells some great stories about working with him on Cop Out, which was like a nightmare as well. He tells some yeah. really funny stories. Um, he also tells stories about Bruce Willis, like, turning up to set 
like when he wants type thing. Bruce Willis just he turns up when he turns up, he's ready to work. Yeah, but he might turn up at midday. So you, you <laughs> might be standing around. He might turn up at nine. He might turn up at. And um, the guy on the set was like, "Yeah, we work on BWT." And he goes, "What the hell's that?" He goes, Bruce, Bruce Willis, Willis <laughs> Bruce Willis time. <laughs> he goes, "When he turns up, he's good to go." But we just don't know when that is. So mm. that's not one of my picks. But do check those Kevin Smith talking about Bruce Willis <laughs> stories out. Also, also check out Kevin Smith talking about John Peters. Right. Kevin Smith also, talk- is brilliant. Also check out Anola Holmes. I don't know how we got into Bruce Willis, but we're talking about guys doing their own stunts and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, an all own Millie Bobby Brown, Henry Cavill. Um, great film if you have, I would say, a young teenager. I feel like it would be quite enjoyable for that age range. You've watched um, it all. Is there franchise potential? Is there sequel potential? Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, that have to. That have to really make it a story, though. Okay. They could. I don't know. It depends how it's received. I think it's been um, received all right. Yeah, I think it would have been interesting to see if it was a um, like a cinema film. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, Enola Holmes, I like it. Good stuff. Oh, I I do want to go back and watch it, but I'm you know you, you might be aware I'm in this West Wing binge yeah. at the moment. <laughs> um, excellent, excellent, excellent. Uh, speaking of doing their own stunts, Will. Oh boy. Best of all time. Tom Cruise. Has to be Tom Cruise. Yeah. That guy will hang off the Burj Khalifa to get the shot. He'll hang out of a plane. He's I a madman. personally hate watching Tom Cruise. But, oh, credit to him, he can do... Yeah, what, what do you mean? Like the, the Mission Impossible movies? They're amazing. No, I, I don't mind Mission Impossible because they're action, they blow up, they're hot chicks, they're cars. But... If I have to sit down and, like, study Tom Cruise, I couldn't think of anything worse. I just when are you ever in a situation stand. where you're sitting down and studying Tom Cruise? How often does that no, happen? but, like, I will watch something that, say, Taron Eckerts is in okay. because I like him. I will not go source out a Tom Cruise movie because, oh, okay. it, because so you, it is you won't, you won't go watch, like, Lions for Lambs? No. Okay. Well, that's probably fair enough. Those Mission Impossibles are amazing, though. Um, my third and last pick of this uh, week is something that this is a series, and I, I use the term series very loosely. But the first film in this series, I love one of my favorite films of all time. I love it to death. The second one is watchable, but it's not as good. And I'd never seen the third one beyond the first ten minutes because I don't know why. I don't know why. I love the other two, particularly the first one. Released in 1998, Major League, Back to the Miners. The third forgotten Major League film starring Scott Bakula, um, the sort of ugly stepchild to the... Is Major League the just a little Just bit a bit outside. He tried the corner <laughs> in this. <laughs> How do they lay off pitches that good? It's, it's amazing. Bob Uecker. Bob Uecker's in this. But... Um, like I said, I love the first one. The first one is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant film written by David S. Ward, who won an Oscar for writing The Sting, which is a brilliant movie. Um, basically, just an excuse. He has long said he's a long-suffering Cleveland Indians fan. It was just an excuse to watch the um, for the Indians to win something because he they'd never win. They never win. They're never going to win anything. The only way they're going to win something is if I write a movie where they win. And there's a great stories of Cleveland fans watching Major League as if it's real. 
Like they, they get together in bars and they watch it and whatever. And with good reason. It's a brilliant movie. The second one, not as good, but still okay. The third one rolls around four years after the second. And it's, you know what? Like, it's inferior, but it's like, it's okay. Like you watch it and it's fine. It's one of those films that if you watched it, you know, the classic Saturday afternoon movie, if if it was on at 2 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon and you'd never seen it and it was on, you know, you didn't mind baseball movies, you'd watch it and be like, it's fine. This is okay. It's not a classic. It's not the natural. It's not Bull Durham. It's not, you know, Field of Dreams, a league of their own, Major League. But it's totally fine. It's got very thinly drawn characters. Got yeah. a couple of very clumsy cameos of like um, Pedro Serrano's in it, played by Dennis Haysbert. Oh, Will's giving me the signal. He's leaving. He's leaving. He's just told me to pad for time whilst he's gone. That's fine. Pedro Serrano has a cameo. The Japanese guy, I can never remember his name. He's got a cameo. Rube Baker from Major League Two, the, the catcher who had to memorize um, uh, transcripts of uh, Playboy uh, so he could throw the ball back to the catcher. He's in it. Uh, Roger Dawn, um, obviously uh, 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 Corbin Burnson, uh, he makes an appearance. Um, so it's got all those little bits and pieces that kind of keep the film sort of ticking over. But they're not... This, they bring me to my next point, which um, if the audience hasn't uh, listened, Will still isn't back, so I'm still uh, looking for some feedback, but he's just not there. There he is. Um, all those cameos lead me to my point. You know, we mentioned Bruce Willis before. One of the great examples of this happening, Die Hard 3 was not a Die Hard movie. Die Hard 3 was a, an action script called Simon Says, and yeah. the studio really liked it, and in kind of going, well, who's the lead? We've got a great villain and a great premise, but who's like who's the good guy? Someone in the studio said, what about John McClane? And then it became a diehard movie. It's like a great example of, of that happening, and that happens regularly. I think this was like just a baseball spec script. There's heaps of baseball spec scripts where yeah. someone's written a film about minor league baseball. The conflict is... The basic conflict of this film is that the Minnesota Twins have, a, have an affiliate um, AAA baseball you know, minor league team, which they all do, called the Buzz, and there's a bit of a rivalry between Scott Bakula's coach who's coaching the minor league team, the coach of the major league team. They end up having like a one-off, a game, to kind of settle the scores, who's the best, minor league team versus major league team. You know, I think that started off as a little idea. Yeah, I don't mind it. Where does it fit? Uh, who's in it? How do we get it made? How do we get people interested in it? Make it a major league movie. And it's just called Major League. We'll loosely tie in some characters. It ends up being this movie. Like I said, it's fine. It's, you know, it's it's not terrific, but it's watchable. If you like the other two, if you like baseball movies in general, it's not required reading. It's an interesting little sidebar. But it got me thinking, why is Major League not a thing anymore? You've got a really good example in something like Cobra Kai. Yeah. Why is Major League not a TV show? Mm. Huge market, baseball. Baseball shows are great. Think about it. Put it on. Does it have the cult absolutely, following? Absolutely, it does. Yeah. You talk But the same that Karate Kid does. Yeah, more. I reckon there'd be more Major League fans. Absolutely. Major League, if in, you like baseball. In America. Oh, if you like baseball. Major League would be one of your favourite films. It's, it's brilliant. So my, my concept here is, I know that Karate Kid's got more perhaps worldwide appeal, but yeah, Major League. So my idea here is, I spoke about my little you know, music artist doing old Elvis throwbacks. 
my, my idea here is make a major league TV show that just each season is a season. Mm. And that way you can keep refreshing the cast, trades, acquisitions, new managers, rivalries build up. You know, you and I are teammates, then we get traded, and then we're rivals and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Equal parts, you know, Bull Durham, a little bit of Eastbound and Down, Footballers' Wives, a bit like Ted Lasso, which I obviously reviewed recently, which mm-hmm. was really good fun. Uh, Brockmire, which is about um, Hank Azaria plays a washed-up baseball caller. Um, you know, even a bit like The Bronx is Burning, which I spoke about a couple of weeks ago, where you, you tie in kind of political goings-on into the show itself, what's happening on the field. And just follow the season from inside the clubhouse with these quirky characters who grow and learn and blah, 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 blah. And you don't really need that many cost-prohibitive baseball set pieces. You watch a film like Major League, which is a, a relatively modest-ish budget film, you watch something like Ted Lasso about soccer, you don't necessarily need a lot of baseball. Just big key set pieces. And with the way technology is now, we spoke about, did we speak about the the Mandalorian uh, and the use of what they call the volume, which is that big LED screen? It's it's basically a big 360-degree LED screen, which becomes a set. So you can project whatever image you want. And the camera, they they used that technology for the Lion King, the Mandalorian is probably the biggest, highest profile project to use it for a lot of stuff. You watch a lot of scenes in The Mandalorian, that's not a set. Mm. There's a very basic set element, and then the rest of it is literally front projected onto a screen, a really yeah. ridiculous high-def screen, and you can't see the difference. There are lots of scenes in The Mandalorian, if you go back and watch it, that's not blue screen, that's a, that's an LED screen. <laughs> that is lit from within the camera, it's unbelievable. And no matter where you pivot the camera... Um, it adjusts and like refocuses, reframes, etc. You could do that, the baseball diamond, where you're at the plate and you just put literally the catcher and the umpire behind you and then digitize whatever background you need. I'm talking about the technical elements of this show, not the narrative elements, but all I'm trying to stress is you don't need to go and hire, hire a fucking crowd and a baseball diamond no. to reproduce these scenes as such. You can do a lot of it digitally and with stock footage. I just reckon yeah. watching this film, I sat there and it struck me. I was like... Fucking Major League is a property that means something to a lot of people that's got a lot of cachet that people love. People love baseball stuff in general. Sports shows, sports movies, and baseball movies are some of the best. Why is this not a thing? Maybe we just need to wait a couple more years for a rehash. I feel like it's still like a... Totally. What would you say? 93? So 89 was the first movie, 94 was the second, and this one was 98. Uh, maybe movies, another five years or so gives another gives gives the generation time to be like, what's major league? You know what it takes? It takes someone like my age, for instance, who's working in the industry, to be like, why is this not a thing? Yeah, because there are people who are older than me who loved it, and then people my age who loved it now who are like thirty plus. Who, if we yeah. said we're making a major league TV show, it's a baseball comedy drama, etc., who would be all over it. And like I said, I just reckon it'd be a lot of fun. It'd be a great format to tell it in. Um, Ted Lasso is a good example. Bronx is burning, as I mentioned earlier. But I just think that the storytelling possibilities... You, you see, um, there was a show made last year, I think, where it was about... A, the, what was it called? It was about a woman who was like the first female to play in the major leagues. And I can't remember what it was called. She was a pitcher. And it was a show and it ran in America. And it only lasted the one year, I think. But you sit there and go... you. You're overthinking these ideas. 
For the same reason that the guys who made Major League Back to the Minors took a spec script and slapped Major League on it, if you want to make a show about a baseball team, just slap Major League on it. Just call it Major League. Yeah. The same typeface. Slap it out there. Have Call each season a different thing, you know, um, and, and just go from there. But, look, the actual movie itself, Major League Back to the Minors, wouldn't necessarily recommend as such. It's totally fine. Wouldn't necessarily run out, you know, to go and watch it. But it's just one of those little things that made me think that why is this property just sitting on the shelf gathering dust? <laughs> you know, for 22 years now. It's strange. Because yeah. there's always baseball shows, there's always baseball movies, there's always baseball on the brain. It just seemed like an odd one to kind of, you know, just leave sitting there. But, yeah, interesting nonetheless. Um, what was your, you're not Holmes was your third pick, wasn't it? What was your pick of the week, William? Um, I'm going to go The Dirt. Really? Bit of The Crew. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I realised, I remembered mid-talk of, the, I think, your second pick or even that pick just then about why I watched it because I was watching the project and Tommy Lee was on because it's got a new album coming up or something and they were talking about The Dirt. Ooh. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll watch it, I'll watch it. And yeah, pleasantly surprised, funny, uh, real at some points and I just I like a bit of, you know, pop culture history and they're a big part of it. Absolutely. Um my pick of the week is it's a tough, it's a tough toss up to be honest with you. The West Wing is the best thing I've watched this week. Clearly, uh, it's mainly the, <laughs> other, the only, the only thing, thing I've this watched week. this week is a thin field. But um, that's only because of its quality. But if you yeah. haven't seen the West Wing yet, if you have seen it, you probably get t- totally where I'm coming from. It's a brilliant show, um, and it's topical, obviously, with the U.S. election coming up. I'm pretty torn between that and the right stuff because the right stuff is whilst it's a rehash type thing of an old book, old movie, I don't know, it's fresh enough to be engaging enough. I'll go with the right stuff only because if you haven't seen the West Wing yet, you, know, you, you might not watch it. Yeah. And the right stuff is fresh enough to be relevant enough to be sort of interesting. So uh, I, I recommend the right stuff on Disney+. Plus. You can find it now, the first three episodes. New episodes drop every Friday. Lovely. Well, anything I watch, you can basically find on Netflix. So go go there for any of my picks. <laughs> you don't tend to branch out too far from the old Netflix. No, well, I don't, you know, allegedly find them illegally. But you know, I don't either, and I abhor anyone who behaves that way. <laughs> They're disgusting. They should be <laughs> they should be treated appropriately by the authorities. <laughs> um, well, I think that wraps us up, does it? Uh, yeah. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So thank you, Will. Where do they find you, people, on uh, on the socials if they want to find you? Um, at Willie P on essentially everything. Two L's, um, two L's, two Y's, two P's, two E's. Bang. Done. Bang. You can find him on Twitter, uh, Instagram, PSN. PSN, uh, various other social media platforms. Excellent. Only fans. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Sean Peter Mudge, all one word and do so if you want to talk about the West Wing because I will happily talk to you about it in return so thank you very much for listening to this we'll hope to catch you again next time where I think we'll review uh, Borat uh, Borat That's b- very nice very nice uh, it's, it's going to be our first long overweighted joint review I reckon uh, my mum's just got home and I really wanted to order a HSP but now I'll have to order it and be shamed when I pick it up oh no no, it's a real shame. That's a real kick in the teeth. 
Tell you what. Yeah, I just wanted to sit here in my room by myself and eat it with no <laughs> no one around. No. When it, <laughs> the shame of isolation. God, I feel like shit. Feels so <sighs> wrong, but so right. Uh, yeah. So thank you very much for listening. We hope to catch you next time. Bye. Bye.